we have been talking about when you look at the body of the book of Philemon, starts in verse 8, there are four major ideas that he weaves in and out. The idea of love, hey, I'm appealing to you. I'm not commanding you to do this because I want this to be about transformational life change in you. Philemon, I want you to make the decision to do what's right here. Number two is reconciliation. I've set Onesimus, the runaway slave, back to you so that he can be with you again and not just as a slave but more than a slave as a brother. Restoring relationship. Last week we talked about acceptance. How everybody's created in the image of God and that we all have worth and value. And then today this idea of forgiveness. Now, at first blush... You might go, oh, well, today's the easy day, right? Forgiveness. How hard can it be? You know, the Bible's all about forgiveness. We all get it. And I will tell you that as you start to look at the idea of biblical forgiveness, it is one of the most complex and it points nuanced things to preach on out of Scripture. Because we have so many different pieces. For instance, let me give you an example. Many of us are aware of uh, Peter coming to Jesus. How often should we forgive, right? The, the kind of the standard of the day was forgive three times. And so Peter does that twice and adds one because he's super spiritual, right? So Lord, should I forgive them seven times? And of course then Jesus says, ah, no, 70 times seven. Whoa, and we're all gone. Okay. But do you know that comes in the context where Jesus has just said, hey, when you get somebody who's walking in sin, you go to them, and then you go get two other people, and then you go, if they don't repent, you tell it to the church. And oh, by the way, if there's no repentance, you actually discipline them out of the church. So how does that deal with forgiving them 70 times 7? So... How does it all work? So that's what we're going to attempt to do. Our, our text here is verses 17 to verse 20. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would accept me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me to to me, even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And you say, well, Steve, how do you get forgiveness out of that? Because he doesn't even say it. Well, the, the whole idea, and we're going to talk up here a little bit about, you know, biblical forgiveness and how we are forgiven. Our sin, our debt was put on Christ's account, right? So that's the picture there. Now, what's really interesting is you stop and think about it, though, Jesus had, you know, had all to offer. What does Paul have? He's under house arrest in Rome, so he's not making a living. We know that the church at Philippi is sending gifts. Other churches are sending gifts to support him. So what money would he even have to pay back a debt, right? And then you kind of notice Peter says, or Paul says, oh, by the way, uh, not even to mention you owe me life. He's asking them to forgive, right? So what does the Bible tell us about forgiveness? Well, it depends on the context. When you and I speak about forgiveness, so often what we're talking about is what I would call judicial forgiveness. It's how God forgave you and me through Jesus, right? That we are forgiven. Now, the interesting thing about judicial forgiveness is that 
I think if you were to ask most Christians, all right, where does, where does this idea of judicial forgiveness, God's forgiveness for us, come from in the character of God? Most of us would probably run to his mercy and to his love, you know? He, he's merciful, he cares for us, he's compassionate. I want to argue with you that I think biblically, and this is so important to understand how forgiveness is supposed to work. I really think biblically, if we look at it, God's forgiveness for us is actually rooted in his justice. His justice. You see, God's forgiveness for us is not just merely winking at our sin, ignoring our sin, sweeping our sin under the carpet like it didn't didn't happen. He can't do that. You know why? He's just. He's just. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. This is who he is. is. Ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Our God is a God of justice. So, so sin has to be punished. In fact, later on in Ezekiel, he says this. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins must die. God can't just ignore sin. He can't just act like it didn't happen. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, they got kicked out. There were consequences. God can't just, you know, a lot of people have this idea that God is like, grandpa right did you have a good grandpa so i'm getting to play this role of grandpa it's pretty cool six years now and it's a fun role because you see the kids messing around misbehaving being bad you know when you were the dad you'd have to be correcting it right and i see my you know i see their dad getting on them and i'm smiling it's like it's kind of cute right you know they're being honorary they're they're th pitching a fit, and I'm thinking, that's eh, kind of cute, right? And we think this idea that, you know, God's kind of this grandpa in the sky who just kind of smiles, you know, when we don't behave real well, and, oh, isn't that cute? That one's mine, right? Uh, but that's not who God is. God is a God of justice. He, he is a God that, that demands that things be a thing of equity. In fact, that's why I think the writer of Hebrews reminds us that according to the law one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness so we look at the cross right so we needed to be forgiven we had this huge problem so God can't just wink at it. God can't just sweep it under the carpet. God can't just ignore it. So what does God do? God becomes a man. He becomes one of us, one of our kinsmen, and yet he's a perfect man. He never sins. So there is no debt. There is no, there is no lawlessness that needs to be paid for. And as Jesus now goes to the cross as that perfect God-man, my sin, your sin, the sin of the whole world is placed upon Jesus. As he is whipped and has the crown of thorns put on his hand and he's nailed to the cross, God takes our sin and puts it on his account. In fact, it's so interesting when you think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to become 
sin on our behalf. Why? He put our sin on Christ's account. In fact, even think of how the prophet Isaiah put it in Isaiah 53. He said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. But God has caused the sin, the iniquity of us all to fall on Jesus. I mean, I've used this illustration before, but to me it's so good. Let's suppose that this book, were, this Bible, were really a record of my life. That would have written on its pages everything I've ever son, said, done, everything I've ever thought, every motive of my heart. So all of my sin is here. Well, let's let this hand represent me. Here's all my sin. Here's the problem. I cannot have a relationship with God because of my sin. And God just can't ignore the sin. He can't just act like it was there. So what God did is he became a man like me. He lives this perfect life. And as he goes to the cross, God places my sin on Jesus. He dies in my place. It was credited to his account. So that now when he says, hey, it is finished, the debt is paid, my sins have been atoned for. God is satisfied. The theological words here are my sins were imputed to him. Now God has been propitiated. He has been satisfied. His justice has been met. So now I can have a relationship with him, right? That's judicial uh, forgiveness. And here's the thing. God's the only one that can offer that. I can't offer that to you. You can't offer that to me. Only God can offer it. The cool thing is, is he offers it to everybody. I, I love how Peter put this with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He says, of him, speaking of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone... Don't you like that? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. The offer is open. He has made judicial forgiveness available to everybody. But here's the thing. you got to request it. Again, I talk to people. They have this idea that God at some point is just going to throw a general amnesty out to everybody. It's not true. He's made it available to everyone. But it's a personal choice. God made us, I believe, with a, a free will. He's not going to walk over that. So the choice is there. You've got to receive him. I mean, John says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It's a choice. You've got to, to do that. I mean, I mean, you even think of, again, pictures. Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? Remember that first Passover they had killed the lamb? But then they had to take the blood and apply it to the door for the death angel to pass over. That is, that is what we're called to do, is to apply the blood of Christ to our life, to come to this point and saying, Lord, I know that I stand condemned before you, but you died for me, and I want your forgiveness. And man, he'll give it. So judicial forgiveness. But... We also know that for Christians, we can't give judicial forgiveness, but we are called to give forgiveness to one another, right? Uh, Ephesians 4, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. I call this soul forgiveness. Uh, 
by the way, great book uh, if you want to read on this. And we actually have a class if you would like to take, especially for women who, who have been abused or an abusive thing. Uh, and these are in those little pockets in front of you. There's some of our care ministries, but it's called Mending the Soul. And there's a book written by Steve Tracy by the same name. Uh, and he's just got a wonderful chapter on this idea of forgiveness. He actually calls this psychological forgiveness. I've read somebody else calls it like decisional forgiveness. The idea is, is that this soul forgiveness is that I internally, this really has nothing to do with the one who hurt me, the one who sinned against me, but I internally what I'm going to do is I am going to make the choice to forgive them. It's not based upon my emotions because emotions come and go. It's based upon my will. I choose to forgive. And by choosing to forgive what I'm doing, I'm choosing to let go of my perceived right to get even. To seek revenge. To cause them hurt. That's tough. You know, I told you, God's character is God of justice, right? We're created in the image of God. We have this sense of justice within us. It's not right. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. They hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. What we're called to do as believers is in our soul, release them from that. And how do you do that? How you do that is by entrusting them to the justice of God. I'm not going to return evil. I'm not going to make this right. But I have confidence that my God, who is a God of justice, will, will deal with this. He'll deal with this in the life of the person that hurt me. The passage that is so good, make sure you write it down. We're going to look at it just briefly, but you want to go deeper into it. It's Romans 12, 17. Just to, to shrink it, to get it up here, this is what it says. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Our God's a God of justice. You don't have to do it. You release that. You, you let it go. But trust God for that. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then what he does, you kind of see all the little dots here. He quotes two Old Testament passages. The one is in Deuteronomy. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. <laughs> Trust God, let it go, leave that with him. And then the second one is actually out of Proverbs, where Solomon said, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. By the way, that's justice right there, right? So you being nice as God is working in their life to bring about justice, he'll even use that. So soul forgiveness is, first of all, releasing. I, I'm not anymore looking to how can I get back? How can I hurt? I'm letting that go. I'm trusting that God will make this right in his time and in his way. And then I'm also extending grace. You know, that's what it is. Feed your enemy, right? Your, your enemy's thirsty. Now, again, let's think about this. 
I don't think Solomon has a mind. You come across your enemy and they're about ready to die of hunger. Or that defeating him is to fatten him up so now he can attack you again, right? I, I don't think that's what he has in mind. I think what he has in mind is this, is this acts of kindness towards uh, them in the sense of, of in the, their issues of brokenness. I mean, Jesus puts it like this. I say to you, love your enemies... Pray for those who persecute you. Those are hard things that we pray for. We release getting right. We release revenge. We release making them hurt. Now we pray for them. Now when life comes our way in a situation where I could do them harm or I could do them good, I choose to do them good, not harm. I'm leaving that part with God. Now, different than judicial forgiveness, soul forgiveness is given freely. You see, it's really not about the other person. You don't have to be asked because, quite honestly, a lot of times they're not going to ask. Sometimes because they don't even know that they hurt you. And other times they know they hurt you and they just don't care, right? This is about you. Because here's the problem. If I hold on to I want revenge and I hold on to the fact that I want to make this right, I hold on to eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Man, that eats at my soul. That anger, that hatred, that affects me. The bitterness becomes a cancer of the soul. You know, you, you become crotchety. Angry. Nobody wants to be around you. That's not affecting the other person. That's only affecting you. And that's why we are called. I, I, again, think, think Ephesians 4. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ's sake has also forgiven you. Soul forgiveness. I release them from you know, trying to get right. I leave that with the justice of God. And now in my heart, I'm going to extend grace. And whether that's praying for them or in those moments that come when I could do them harm, I'm not going to. I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to do them well. Now, because we've had a bad understanding, I think, of what biblical forgiveness is, it's put a lot of people into bondage. So I want to take just a moment and talk about what it's not. Number one, soul forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, this idea of forgive and forget, right? So if you, if you really forgive, you're going to forget it. And you think, whoever thought that up? I mean, seriously. I mean, pain creates great memories, does it not? In fact, I had a funny story this week. So years ago, I mean, I'm in grade school, a long time ago. Uh, we, were, we were out on a bike ride as a family. We came by a house of one of the people go to our church. They're all sitting out. You know, before, you know, before all the screens and social media, that's what we did, right? We rode bikes or sat out on the driveway. They're sitting out in the driveway shooting baskets. And so we stopped to talk and visited. And everybody's gone up and petted this nice little cute dog. And I went up to pet this nice little cute dog. And he decided to take a chunk out of my leg. So I end up in the ER. I end up getting shots. It was a very painful experience. I honestly, to this day, don't really like dogs. So, um, but don't have to deal with them much anymore. So Wednesday, Thursday this week, I'm visiting some folk, 
And, uh, you know, being the grandpa stage of my life, they had some younger kids. I brought them some little gummies, right? And they're in the back room. So I go busting into this back room with these little gummies thinking I'm the hero, completely forgetting that they have a dog. And as I head up, I hear this growl over my shoulder. It was a memory I had not thought of in a long time, but it came running back very quick. I didn't know I could still move that quick. I was pretty <laughs> impressed, right? Why? Because pain scars leave these things. Now, here's the pushback that I get from Christians. But we're supposed to forgive as God forgave us. You know, and God forgets our sin. Well, think about that for a moment. Theologically, does God really forget? Does God have a cognitive issue? The knower of all things suffering from a little dementia as we go forward? No, you know what Jeremiah says? Jeremiah says, your sins and iniquities he will remember no more. You see, he chooses not to remember it. He chooses not to hold it against us. He chooses not because we have been forgiven. It's not that he forgets it. Some people get so bound, i got to forget this. They can't forget it because the pain is too deep. It's not what, it's not what soul forgiveness is. It's also not, doesn't mean that there are no consequences. Again, pushback. But yet, when we came to Christ, God forgave us. And, there, you know, we're not going to hell. There's no consequences for our sin. And you're half right and you're half wrong. You're right. We're not going to face them. But you're wrong. Jesus already faced them for us. It's not that there were no consequences. It's just I got out of that peace because Jesus stood there for me. Yes. He stood there for me. There were consequences, and he faced them for me. And this idea that somehow if, if I forgive, then I have to, you know, somebody who's abused or somebody who's hurt. And I've seen this, in, you know, in, in places even when there's been molestation. Somebody, you got to forgive, but boy, you can't talk to the police because, you know, that wouldn't be real forgiveness. Well, wait a minute. Do you all remember the children of Israel? God brings them out of Egypt, going to take them into the promised land. They send the 12, the 12 um, spies in. They come out. They decide not to go. They rebel against God. God's about ready to judge the whole lot of them. Uh, Moses goes to praying. God says, okay, I forgive them. I forgive them. But not one of them except Joshua and Caleb will go into the promised land. They're going to wander around for 40 years. There's consequences. Uh, think of David. You know, man after a heart, God's own heart. He sins with Bathsheba. Then he kills her husband, right? And then sends Nathan the prophet who confronts him. And, and David repented and it was sincere. I mean, read Psalm 51. So much so that Nathan, speaking, speaking for God, says, David, you are pardoned. You are forgiven. But there's going to be consequences. Number one, the sword is not going to depart from your family. Number two, by the way, some of your wives are going to be ravaged like you did Bathsheba in public view. And that happened with Absalom. And number three, 
the child that's been born by this or going to be born by this is not going to live. There's consequences. And this idea that somehow we've got to not, not have any consequences, that, you know, we just got to go back like, like it didn't happen. It did happen. And it's not what well, I believe God says is biblical uh, forgiveness for, from a Christian's perspective. Number three, oh, I got to hurry. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, by five times, I'm still processing it. It just gets longer. I'm sorry. So we'll hurry here. Lastly, it doesn't mean that you have to immediately trust. Man, I see this all the time in families. A spouse will will have infidelity and whether it's sexual infidelity or financial infidelity or emotional infidelity and it'll get found out and then there's repentance and there's confession and there's all this but then the the one who is offended goes man why can't they just forgive me well they have forgiven you but it's not they don't trust me well yeah you blew the trust it's gonna take time it's gonna take time you remember the little story, Hosea, Jesus, or God tells him to go marry a prostitute. Remember that? You haven't read Hosea a while. Go back there. He marries her. They have a child. Then she has two more, not by him. Then she goes back and practices a prostitution again. And then God tells her, I think it's chapter 3, go take her back, bring her back into your home, but do not, do not act with her as though she were your wife for a couple months. It's got to be a testing period here. This is time. So, forgiveness, soul forgiveness. Let me just finish real quickly with this talk. Because we talked about reconciliation. And the thing is, they're related, but they're different. Soul forgiveness can lead to reconciliation. Right? So, if Philemon and Onesimus are actually going to be reconciled, Philemon's got to forgive. So, you... you to get to reconciliation, there has to be forgiveness. But when you think about from a Christian perspective, forgiveness does not demand reconciliation. And that sometimes is hard for people to understand. But let me give you three real quick reasons uh, why that's the case. Number one, when somebody is unrepentant. You know, when you get somebody who won't own their sin... You, you shouldn't put yourself back in that place of being hurt or, or being sinned against. That, that's not what we're called to do. Number two, when it would put you back in harm's way. So the sin is actually something that is creating harm. I, I've seen this with, with couples, and primarily it's a man who maybe has, has gotten abusive with his wife or has gotten abusive with his children. And so, you know, when she finally has had enough, she's got to go get a restraining order. And then, you know, she's trying to work it out, and all of a sudden he's repentant because he's out of the house and, and all this type of thing. And, and, and now they're trying to get counseling, and he's trying to push, well, why can't I get back? Why don't you lift a restraining order? She doesn't trust them enough yet and and this is the problem at times when those who manipulate and those that are abusers that they try to use these things to get back in and all I'm trying to tell you is this you can't put yourself back I don't think Jesus would ever ask you to put yourself back in harm's way now in time You've seen, you've seen the fruit of repentance and you see a change in a life. There can be time for that. But I don't believe in the moment of, of, of soul forgiveness that that's what God asked you to do. And then lastly, when it would put others in harm way. 
And let me address something that to me we don't address probably enough. Um, but I, you know, in the history of the church in America, and a lot of it's come out in the last 20, 30 years, there have been Christian leaders who have abused and hurt and molested people. And whether it was verbally, whether it was psychologically, sexually, financially, you know, they stole from a church. And this distorted idea of forgiveness has been, well, we confront them. You know, they, they own a piece of this. But now it's, we have to forgive. There can be no consequences. We, we can't say anything. So you got to leave our church, but we're not going to go to the authorities about this. And sadly, what has happened is that they have allowed these abusers, these manipulators to go other places and hurt and abuse other people. I don't think, it's, I don't think Jesus would ever ask us to do this. When, when a young child has been molested, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's a part of forgiveness to go, that, that there doesn't need to be consequences uh, to, to be brought into this. Because again, Jesus is a God of mercy. He's a God of fairness. He, he never asks us to go. Now here's the great thing. Maybe you've done some of those things and you're going, man, it's a horrific. Well, the great thing is judicial forgiveness, it doesn't matter. He'll forgive anything, everything. All you got to do is ask. But on the other levels, and here's one little thing. If you're in one of those situations and you're trying to forgive and trying to say, hey, what does this look like? And the other person won't respect your boundaries of time. They want to reconcile now. They start trying to guilt you in that forgiveness means we've got to have relationship now. That probably is pointing to the fact that they are not truly repentant in their heart. Should be a clue. I've, I told you a couple weeks ago. I mean, we got two family members, women that have been married to their husbands between 18 and 30 years, and they're master manipulators, and they use this idea of forgiveness. They use this idea of reconciliation only to get them to a point where they try to dominate, manipulate, and hurt again. I don't think Jesus would ever ask one of his children to do that. We've got to forgive, release it to God. It doesn't mean we don't have boundaries where consequences play themselves out.